At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, this morning we are going to uh, wrap up a sermon series we began back at the beginning of January called Relating to. And in this series, we have seen in Matthew chapters 18 through 20 how Jesus provides some instruction to his followers about how they can relate to things that are significant and important to them. Things like, how do we relate to our children as we follow Christ? How do we relate to temptation or to those who have lost their way, to those who have wronged us? How do we relate to our spouse or to eternal life or even the grace of God and his blessing to us? We've seen over the last seven Sundays Uh, what Jesus says about those things. Today we're going to wrap up this series by looking at how we relate as followers of Christ to leadership. Not necessarily leadership that we follow, but when we find ourselves in a position of leadership, how do we follow Christ in that moment? We're going to look at that today by looking at Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. But before we look at those verses together, I want to just think for a moment about leadership, and I want you to to answer a question on the inside, not asking you to raise your hand, but on the inside, how many of you either currently are in or one day hope to be in a position of leadership? How many of you does that resonate with? You know, when I think about that question myself, leadership is something that I have aspired to since I was young. I think all the way back when I was in high school. And I had a desire to one day be the captain of our high school basketball team. That was, that was a goal that I had. And you know what? If I was to be honest and really cold down to the, the core of my emotions in that, what did I really want to do? What I wanted to do was to receive the honor of walking out to represent the team before the tip. I, I wanted that, that honor. Now, what I found after I got to serve in that role was that Being the captain of the team was way more than just representing the team and getting the status or the honor of being out there at half court. It also meant that I had to set a pace or a standard that was maybe higher than some of my peers, and that was the challenge on the other side of that. I think about when I was in college. I had a desire to be an officer in my fraternity. And I think about what was maybe at the the core behind that, and and really part of it at least was that I desired to have something on my resume that said I was an officer in my fraternity. But when I got to be an officer in that fraternity, I found out that I actually was entrusted to make some difficult decisions and to serve the house in that way. It was a responsibility, not just a status. It was an opportunity for service. I think even about my my ministry here at Wildwood. And, and, you know, I I had had a desire. God had placed within me a desire to be the senior pastor here at Wildwood. And if I'm honest, at least part of the reason why I wanted to do that was I wanted to be able to preach on Sundays. I, I love to preach and teach God's Word. This is super fun for me to do this. But what I've found as I've stepped into this role in the last couple of years is that it's also a challenge. It's a weight. There's a real service that goes along with that. And you know, if you're honest, when you think about experiences that you have had in leadership in the past, you also could echo some of that, right? It's not just about the status. There's service that comes along with it. Think about those of you who are parents, If you had a child thinking that you had this child so that they would tell you that they loved you and give you a card at Mother's Day, you have found that the role of mother is 
bigger than just a card, I love you in Mother's Day, right? There's times where you are serving and caring for at some of the worst moments. Dads, if you wanted to be a dad just because you wanted somebody to go to the game with you on Saturday, that's awesome. But there's other responsibilities to serve and to lead. I think about those who have said yes to be a leader at D-Now Weekend this weekend. I see a bunch of yellow shirts. You guys are still here and hanging in. That is awesome. But I think about those of you who volunteered to serve, those of you who volunteered to be host homes for D-Now Weekend. We, there's at least one applause. My wife is happy. Tykerobes, thank you. Um, no, but the, 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 the families, when you think about the, the step that people have taken to serve in those ways, they, they stepped into a position of leadership for the weekend. But it involved them then staying up to late hours until everybody else had gone to sleep and caring for and transporting and all of those things that go along with it. See, leadership is not just about status, it's about service. Now, there certainly are models and examples of leadership that are about the status or the stuff. The world might want to sell to us a model of leadership where the leaders get all of the things and they get the business card and they get the the bank account and they get the house or the jet or the car or whatever it is. But Jesus wants us to know that when we think of, of leadership as followers of Christ, our thought about leadership should not be instructed by whatever the world is trying to sell. Whatever the, the latest book on leadership that exists in the airport bookstore. We're not to take our, our cues for leadership from the world, but we are to take our cues for leadership from Jesus himself. And this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, where Jesus provides some instruction about what it looks like for us to follow him as the leader and to exhibit his kind of leadership when we are given the opportunity. So if you've got a Bible, take it in turn to Matthew chapter 20. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture we're going to see today. Verses 20 through 28, Matthew chapter 20. I want to read them for us, and then we'll back up and look a little more at what they mean. Chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, in these verses today, we're going to see three things about relating to leadership as we follow Jesus. The first thing that we're going to see is this, there is no crown without the cross. 
There is no crown without the cross. Now, we see that in verses 20 through 23. But in order for us to really understand the the verses that we just read, we really need to place them first inside of their context. If you'll remember from just a couple of weeks ago, the context of this story is Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem with his disciples. And on the way there, he has a number of different interactions with people. And one of those interactions was with a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they have this conversation that goes back and forth. And Jesus says, I have one more thing then for you to do. You were to sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come and follow me. Well, when the rich young ruler heard this, what did he do? He went away sad because he had great possessions. And the disciples watched this scene unfold. And they said to Jesus, if that guy, a ruler of a synagogue, who is blessed so much in this life, if he is not able to be saved, then who can? And Jesus said, what is impossible for man is actually possible for me. In other words, the way to eternal life, the way to salvation is by my gift, not by your effort. And first thing you need to do is learn that you need to trust in me. Now, after Jesus said that. Peter is sitting there watching this scene unfold, and and what does Peter say? Peter does the math inside of his head, and he says, hey, the rich young ruler, he wouldn't give away his things and follow you, but Jesus, what about us? We gave away everything. We left our fishing nets in the water so that we might follow you. What about us? Since we have left all to follow you, what is in it for us? What will we then have? Well, Jesus answers Peter, and he says, Peter, anybody who has given up anything to follow me will receive a hundredfold as they follow me. Jesus even says in chapter 19, verse 28, truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He lets the disciples know that There's blessing on the other side of this for them, including a throne and an opportunity to lead, and they are fired up. Well, after Jesus says that, he he reminds them of the grace of God that will extend this blessing, not just to them, but to others also. We saw that last week in the parable. And in the verses just before the ones I read earlier, we see Jesus reminding the disciples again that he is going to Jerusalem to die on the cross. Now, given all of that context, up walks James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they walk up to Jesus in chapter 20, verse 20, with their mom in tow. Now, Mark tells this story also in his gospel in Mark chapter 10. And Mark doesn't mention the mother at all, which lets us know that It wasn't the mom's idea, it was James and John's idea. There was something that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, wanted, and they decided their best path to get that was to bring mom in. Now, why would they think that? Well, because it's hard to say no to mom, right? But but also, why would they say it? There's a special connection that's possible between Jesus and his family. When you look at the parallel accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus... It sure seems like Salome, the mother of James and John, was the sister 
of Jesus' mother, Mary. That means that Salome was Jesus' favorite aunt. So if they are to ask him for something really important, what's the best way they could ask for that? Let's bring in auntie. Mom, come on in. Ask for us. And so Salome walks up to Jesus and she kneels before him, uh, 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 giving honor to him, and says, hey, I want to talk about those thrones. Remember a little bit ago, I mean, I know you said some other stuff. I know you gave a, a story. It was beautiful, by the way. And I know that you've talked about the cross, and I, I think I don't really know what that's all about, but I want to skip all of that stuff, and I want to skip that cross talk, and I want to go back to talk about the thrones because that sounded a lot more fun. When you sit on that throne, Jesus, and there's going to be thrones around you, can, can James sit right by you on the right side? And can John sit by you right here on the left side? In other words, could they be the most privileged and honored when your kingdom is established? That was the question that they asked. They wanted the crown. Now, what's interesting is when you look at all of Matthew's gospel, you see that there is a repeated pattern that someone wants the crown without the cross. Somebody wants to skip over what Jesus said in 17 through 19 when he says that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be killed upon a cross and condemned to die and delivered over to death. People want to skip over that part to, to focus only on the blessing that God might give, to focus on the crown without the cross. There's a repeated pattern. And you know who's behind that repeated pattern? Satan himself. You remember back when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? What did Satan come and offer Jesus? He offered him a throne. He said, I want to give you authority, Jesus. Just bow before me and I will give you authority. And Jesus said, that's not how this works. No crown you give me is worth it. The mission that God has for me is to go to the cross. Later on, Peter makes a declaration in Matthew chapter 16 where he says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then right after that, Jesus said, well, the Christ, the Son of the living God, is going to the cross to die. And Peter says, may it never be. What did Jesus say to him? Get behind me who? Satan. Why did he say that? Because it was Satan's idea to have the crown without the cross. Jesus heard it from Satan in the wilderness. Jesus heard it through the mouth of Peter when they were at Caesarea Philippi. But not only uh, was it in those spots, but also when we look at Isaiah chapter 14, there's conversation in Isaiah 14 about how Satan fell. Where did he come from? He was an angelic being who, who fell from grace with God because of a rebellion. Well, what was his rebellion? His rebellion, Isaiah 14, lets us know that he wanted a throne beside God. Satan's plan from the beginning was to have a crown without the cross and a throne for himself. Jesus hears a similar line coming from James and John and his favorite aunt. So what does he do? Well, he points them back to the cross. 
He says, you are asking me for a crown, but I want you to know that the crown does not come without the cross. He says, you do not even know, verse 22, what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? Are you able to, to drink the cup? But Jesus will use this picture later on in, in reference to the, his death on the cross when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the, it's the cup of God's wrath that was poured out concerning sin. It was the persecution that would come in this world. Jesus wants them to know, hey, if you want the crown, if you want the exaltation, if you want the blessing, if you want the honor, I want you to know that that does not come without a cost. Well, they answer and they say, yes, Jesus, we are able to drink that cup. Jesus responded to them and said, you will drink my cup. And here's the thing, friends. Do you realize that wasn't just some conversation that was happening that wasn't connected to anything? Do you realize that James and John would eventually drink from that cup? Of the 12 disciples, the first of those 12 disciples to die because of their connection to Christ was James. Acts chapter 12 lets us know. He died at the sword because of his connection with Christ. John did not die at that time. John actually was the last of the disciples who was alive, but he found himself in in heavy prison camp on the Isle of Patmos. Revelation chapter 1 lets us know. They both would drink from the cup that Jesus drank from. They both would experience rejection and persecution because of their connection to Christ. And Jesus wants them to know that those decisions of what they would experience were things that he would allow in his grace. Just as he would grant to them reward because of their connection to him. The crown of connection with Christ, the blessing, the honor, eternal life, our connection to Jesus leads to those things. But our connection to him also will lead to persecution and rejection in this life. And Jesus makes that very clear right here. What's interesting is how those things play out in our lives are tied to the sovereign decision of a wise God. It's not Jesus' even to, 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 to decide. He says the, the Father will decide those things. They've been prepared by him. Our role in the kingdom and the level of our reward will be determined by God the Father. And our experience of persecution in this life because of our connection to Christ is determined by God the Father. Have you ever wondered why it is that, that we might live out our lives in, in this place and at this time, and though connection to Christ might lead to some discord in our family or a challenge on a sports team that we're a part of or a friendship that is strained or lost, that that is our experience of our connection to Christ leading to some persecution. And there are others on the other side of the world who might give their life as a martyr. Have you ever wondered why that happens? Well, what we see here is that God has appointed grace for each of us. 
For some, he's given us the grace of this life and living it out this way. For others, he has given the grace of another. To to James, he gave the grace of being the first martyr. To, To John, he gave the grace of living out a long life and dying on the Isle of Patmos. But to both, they were under the wise direction of our Heavenly Father. But both of them would both experience the blessing, the crown, and also the cross. Friends, is your connection to Christ led to a cost? If so, it's not a mistake. It's under the direction of God, who not only allows that struggle, but also can reward you later. The first thing we see is that there's no crown without the cross. Second thing that we see, though, is that there is no stuff or status of leadership without service in sacrifice. See, the, the disciples, when they thought about leadership, they, they were thinking of it as an opportunity to gain some stuff and some status. When Jesus says that he's going to come in his kingdom and they will be able to rule with him, they are immediately thinking that their status is rising and they are going to experience some kind of physical blessing. That's what they're, they're thinking. And why are they thinking that? Well, they're thinking that because the examples of leadership that they had seen in the world were leaders got stuff and status. Jesus described it this way to them. He said, you all have have seen a model of leadership in the world that that leads to stuff and status. He, He calls it the leadership of the Gentiles, where the leaders lord it over their people. Their people exist to to give them stuff and to give them status and to give them adulation. Greatness in the world system is how many people report to you. That's the, the, the picture that we see Jesus combating. He says to the disciples, hey, you all have a picture of leadership in your mind that looks like the world's picture of leadership. You think that the best leader is the best CEO or the biggest rock star. But Jesus goes on to tell them, leadership inside of my church doesn't find its pattern or its model in the world. It finds its pattern or its model in Jesus himself. Jesus says in these verses, He says to them in verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. This is not the pattern for followers of Christ. It is not the pattern of the church. But whoever would be great among you, Jesus said, must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Servant and slave... Leadership inside of the church is not defined by how many people report to you. It's defined in how many people you serve, how many people you support, how many people you build up. The picture of of leadership that that Jesus points to is, is not one of stuff or of status, but it's one of service and of sacrifice. And of course, the the model, again, is not the CEO, it's not the rock star, it's the Son of God. 
Verse 28 makes that very clear. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It is Jesus himself who is our model of leadership. And think about what Jesus did. If we think leadership is about status or stuff, let's just think about this for a moment. Does Jesus have status? The answer to that is yes. This is not a trick question. Does Jesus have status? Yes. He is the king of what? Of kings. He's the Lord of what? Lords. His is the name that every knee will bow before one day. There is no status like him. And yet, what does Jesus do with his status? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2, and came to this earth to do what? To serve us. That is the picture. That is the pattern. That's the model. Whatever status we have, it, it exists not for us, but as an opportunity and a platform to serve others. That's the picture in the model of Christ. Does Jesus have any stuff? Well, that's a crazy statement, right? What is there that Jesus did not create? Colossians 1, all things were created through him. Jesus has it all, a cattle of a thousand hills. And yet what did Jesus do with his stuff? Does he just want more of our stuff? No, he takes the resources that he has and he cares for us. He serves us and he provides for us. The picture of leadership we have is not the CEO. It's not the rock star. It's the Savior, the servant, Jesus Christ. Sadly, this has not been the experience that everyone has had with leadership inside of the church. Warren Wiersbe says this, it's sad to note in the church today that we have many celebrities but very few servants. There are many who want to exercise authority but few who want to take the towel and the basin and wash feet. Friends, this is the picture of leadership that Jesus lays out. I asked you earlier, who here has a desire to lead? Don't define leadership as how many people report to you or what is on your business card. But as God gives you opportunity and you have a desire to lead, answer this question, who can I serve? Who can I pour into? Who can I build up? This is the picture and the pattern of leadership that Jesus gives. There's no crown without the cross. There's no stuff or status in leadership without service and sacrifice. And the last point is that there is no redemption without a ransom. There's no redemption without a ransom. And friends, this is such a beautiful picture because if the first two points are intended to inspire us to serve others, when we get to the culmination of Jesus' speech here in verse 28, what we see is a picture of his love and his provision for us. It is his leadership that is on display for us to marvel at and to see what he has accomplished for us. Chapter 20, verse 28 is a beautiful verse, and I've often used this verse as I share the gospel with people. I'll ask them, tell me what you know about Jesus. And as they respond to that, they'll begin to tell a number of things about Jesus. They'll talk about his ability to teach. 
They'll talk about the miracles that he did, the compassion that he showed. He was a great leader. He was whatever. And, and, and as all of those things begin to get shared, I can always anchor them back to right here. Because in Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says of himself, he says, even the Son of Man, that title, Son of Man, was Jesus' favorite title of himself. It anchors back to Daniel's prophecy, and it's a, a declaration of God. It says, even as, as Jesus says, even as I came not to be served, but to serve. And we're able to take all of those things that we know about what Jesus did, and we're able to anchor them back there and say, see, you're right. Jesus did those things. He taught those messages. He performed those miracles. He led those people. He started that movement. He came to serve. You've, you've noted correctly about his character. But here's the thing. Jesus came to do more than just serve. And if you continue to talk and to ask questions, most people in our society and culture have an understanding that Jesus did those things, but that he also died on the cross. And, and when he, they talk about that, that Jesus died on the cross, you know what you can say? You can say, yes, but why did he die? Is that just a historical footnote in his life, or is it significant in some way? And friends, this verse reminds us of the incredible significance of Jesus' death. Jesus died on the cross to do something, to give his life, to pay a ransom. A ransom is a, is a price to free someone. You would, you would pay a ransom so that a slave could go free. You would pay a ransom so that someone who is being held as a hostage could be returned home. Jesus' death paid a price so that many, including you and I, might be free from the consequences of our sin. And so that we might come home into a relationship with the God who created us. That is the, the picture of what Jesus' death did. Spurgeon says of this, he says that Jesus' life was a life of giving and the giving of a life. You know, we've seen depictions of Jesus' death. If you saw the Passion of the Christ, you saw a depiction of Jesus' death. That depiction played out for real in history in the first century when Jesus died on the cross, but it was prophesied about and the significance of it were spoken of 700 years earlier in Isaiah's prophecy. Chapter 53, verses 4 to 6. It says, Surely Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression, the nails in his hands and feet. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our sin is why he was there. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why did Jesus die? Jesus died so that the, our iniquity and the sin and the death that our sin deserved could be placed upon him. And with that one death that Jesus died, the many, as many who would trust in him, could be set free from the consequences of our sin. It could be united with God forever. 
John Stott says this. He says, there was something special about Jesus' death. It would not only entail the pain of betrayal, of unjust condemnation, of surrender to an alien power, of mockery, of the ghastly cat of nine tails shod with lead, and the shame of excruciating agony of crucifixion. It would actually do something, his death would. It would rescue a world of people in chains, like hostages on a hijacked aircraft, not perished yet, but in imminent danger of perishing. His death was the price God paid for sinners to go free. Friends, this morning, many of us are reminded of what we have already believed. And we can thank God anew for the price that Jesus paid so that we might have a relationship with God. But friends, I believe there are some here today who are like a passenger on a hijacked plane headed to perishing. And if that's the case for you, if you are sitting here today still trusting in your own efforts, your own work to receive salvation, I would just remind you that there is a God who has offered another way, a better way, the only way for your sins to be forgiven and you to be reconciled with him. That salvation can come if you would just where you sit, embrace and believe that Jesus was who he said he was and that his death is the ransom that your sins deserve. If that's the case, you can follow him into a new life as you leave this morning. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to to worship today. We thank you for the, the, the blessing of your word and how it demonstrates for us uh, the truth of the gospel, Father, that uh, you, you modeled for us in real time and the love and the, the model for leadership that is service and sacrifice that you demonstrated through Jesus. Um, it's just such a beautiful thing. But Father, even as we, we sit here today, we are so thankful that you have not just come to serve, but you also came to give your life as a ransom for our sins. And I pray today that everyone who hears my voice, that in their heart, they would be trusting you. That even today, if it's the first day of them following you, that they would embrace by faith the work of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.